1: two kinds of people in this world we're gonna start with either or here off the top of cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation Polly podcast darren urban kyle odegaard you're either a good news first bad news last or a bad news first good news last kind of guy kyle you're smiling which one is it let's go
2: I don't even think there's two options. It's always bad news first,
0: good news last. Who wants to end on bad news? I, I got to say that I would always go bad news first and then good news with the same thought process as Kyle, but I know I would also dwell on the bad news, so it almost doesn't matter.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. Because if you go the good news first, it's kind of ruined by the fact, by the specter of the looming bad news. Right. Correct. Then again, if you're a procrastinator and, you know, you just don't want to deal with, you know, you're kind of in denial in life a lot, you know, maybe you do opt for the good news first and then never really quite contend with the bad news. I'm not sure I'm psychoanalyzing it. I'm just warning you guys that the bad news in this entire episode of Cardinals Underground, the podcast is coming in three, two, one. When I make the observation, have you guys noticed the striking resemblance between Zayvon Collins and a young Dwayne the Rock Johnson. (laughs) And if there isn't an exact resemblance, the facial features, do you notice at times during a press conference, Zabin will give you the raised eyebrow. He'll raise that one (laughs) eyebrow as if he's Dwayne the Rock in the middle of the ring and he's got the microphone in his hand. I'm like, come on now. Uh, Honestly, does not anybody notice the resemblance here between maybe... Dwayne The Rock, who was a Miami Hurricane, Googled, I Googled it up. I Googled up a few pictures, and I'm telling you, it's real.
0: I got to be honest, yes. this, this feels like something that you would have done in an old-school Pauly podcast when you're actually in the locker room getting sound for radio shows, and you, you'd bounce around from guy to guy and ask him to do something. And I could just see you walking up to and saying, C- come on, come on. You got to say, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? I could see you doing that to him.
1: I agree, Paul, but this would be more of a TV story because you gotta have the visuals, Darren, right? You gotta have the true, visuals yeah. to go along with it. That's
0: true.
2: Paul, if the bad news is that he looks like The Rock, how good is the good news? No. <laughs> the bad news, the bad news is that I'm starting the podcast
1: with this question. That's the bad news. That was my roundabout way of saying hopefully this is my worst take of the entire episode of Cardinals Uh-oh. Underground.
2: So I was gonna say it's it, yeah. you're in a pretty good spot as Zayvon Collins if uh, the bad news is getting compared to the rock. <laughs> Right, it's
1: sort of like uh, starting a conversation with the weather. You really have nothing else to talk about, which is absolutely not the case, Joe. <laughs> I mean, I'm holding the roster here from the Cardinals rookie minicamp, albeit reduced. Uh, you know, there's still the collection of draft picks and complete unknowns, and a few holdovers from last year's draft class, like Evan Weaver, those kind of guys. You know, but uh, here we are, coming off an actual rookie minicamp and Kyle you know what some football any form of nfl football is better than no football at all
2: yeah especially when last offseason there was zilch when it came to any type of work and we all exactly. think that isaiah we think that isaiah simmons was probably negatively affected by that especially a guy who had to learn multiple positions was switching to inside linebacker when he was mostly a safety in college and you know, toward the end of the season, Isaiah Simmons showed why he was the number eight overall pick. And we saw the athleticism all season, but early on the mental progress was not quite there and he didn't play a lot. And clearly the hope is Zaven Collins is going to grab that starting spot, be your day one starter, stay in the lineup every single down, every single snap if he can. And I think even though it's rookie minicamp and it's easy to, to downplay how much they're learning, I think this time is important for him to start that journey because the season is not too far away and already you're going to put a lot on his plate.
0: I gotta be Maybe honest. My- part of my part of my problem, guys, is that the schedule comes out so late now that my body clock and if my NFL body clock says the schedule comes out. Then there's the draft, and we're not even in May yet. i, I was, the schedule comes out, and I lose track. Of the fact that you know it is May. In fact, my wedding anniversary is this week, and I almost. I, it's good that I realized it today because another couple of days I could have been a problem. So I, I've lost track of all time.
1: See, not all of us have an Aunt Irma. I have an Aunt Irma, and she sends her card so early. She has saved my keister more than once. We've gotten (laughs) a happy anniversary card two or three days before the anniversary, and I've gotten to go, oh, my. And I'm like, thank you, Aunt Irma. Oh, my goodness. I got to go out and do some quick shopping. So, yeah, you're you're right, Darren, on that one. You have to adjust your whole uh, NFL calendar at this point. But based on the weekend, honestly, to Kyle's point, Maybe the biggest substantive takeaway of anything that was said over the weekend was just the visceral reaction of a Zayvon Collins when somebody asked him, can you imagine trying to compete for the starting Mike linebacker role and actually calling an NFL defense without ever getting out on an NFL field? And and just his reaction, like, oh, that would be mind blowing. That would be bewildering the degree of difficulty. It did give you a little bit of a grasp on the challenge, the degree of difficulty that Isaiah Simmons and company faced last year in trying to get ready for an NFL season.
0: There's no question about that. I think ultimately, you know, we can talk about, you know, and and I know it's it's been a top of conversation with with veteran players. We can talk all day about what you need to do in the off season and and rest versus work and all this stuff, but I do think that last year Isaiah Simmons suffered greatly from not being on, on the field in the off season. Heck, I think there's a chance Andy Isabella was hurt not being uh, out there in the field in the off season. And it's not just that. I mean, I I think those guys were hurt, not having any preseason games, game action that didn't count that they were able to go out and try some things. Um, I just don't know if the trust level was there with Isaiah Simmons at the beginning of the year that whether it would have been or not, we don't know, but I I do think it's going to help. And now that they're in a situation, the Cardinals, where they're not only going to start Isaiah Simmons, but they've gone all in with Zayvon Collins, um, you better get some of this offseason stuff going. Uh, because ultimately, Kyle, they're going to run with these young guys. And we can talk all- about all the veterans and everything, but I think there's going to be some young guys all across both sides of the ball that are going to have a big impact on how things go. Yeah,
2: and even though Zayvon Collins does get this offseason, I don't think that means we can just pencil him in as being this – dynamic player from day one because he's got so much to learn still and it helps that he'll be there a lot and and he can take those especially those mental reps early on when they're not doing a bunch in the offseason at least learning but it's still a heck of a responsibility to be the Mike linebacker of a defense as a rookie I mean we've seen rookies struggle at positions that aren't as mentally complex as that one so I think Zayvon Collins is really going to have to work hard these next few months to master it. And I'd assume he will be the guy calling the plays on defense. It usually is your middle linebacker. um, So he's going to try to have to help other people and Buda Baker will do that. Probably. There are a lot of veterans on the defensive line that aren't going to need a bunch of help, but Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, those guys need to figure it out pretty quickly. We know they've got the athleticism, but Hassan Reddick had athleticism at inside linebacker as well, and it never clicked for him because mentally he didn't quite get it. And I think that's going to be the thing to watch early on. Are Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons a half step slow because they're swimming a little bit mentally, or are they right on and, and are they going to be
0: impact guys from day one? And how fast the trees are they really?
1: We know they're pretty, just are they fast, right? That, that, that's the question. Now, how mentally equipped are they? The, the football IQ, we know that sideline to sideline, okay, the athleticism is there, the measurables are there, but are you playing a step slow? Are you having the instinctual advantage of being half a step ahead of your competition? And look, the counter argument, and we saw it in week four, was Isaiah Simmons light in last year's draft, Jeremy Chin. The kid out of Southern Illinois, 6'3", 220-something, and he went in round two. I think the Panthers traded up and got him. He was dynamic in that week four win against the Arizona Cardinals. He started 15 games for the Carolina Panthers. He had well over 115 tackles. He was outstanding. He got it right away. And he didn't have the benefit of any sort of offseason or preseason games, exactly like Isaiah Simmons. So you just hope maybe there was a little bit of a slower learning curve for uh, Isaiah Simmons because the war rookies Kyle who did get it and did produce in year one
2: and the Cardinals are certainly talking like they think Zabin Collins can be that immediate producer as far as saying we expect him to start in the season opener from the very first snap we expect him to be in there and certainly like you said there are guys that have gotten it and last year it, it never felt like Isaiah Simmons had that um responsibility on him they always talked about bringing him slower trying to learn a new position but it's been a much different thought process with Zayvon Collins and maybe him knowing that from the jump will be good for him it reminds me of Kyler Murray when he came in they said that's our quarterback we're gonna sink or swim with him as a rookie from day one and he did a pretty good job early on so um, Zayven Collins has a clear path to starting and he knows that they expect him to start. And now it's just a matter of, of it clicking because I just, I'm just, i just reminded of the Raheem Mostert play from the season opener when Isaiah Simmons might be the fastest inside linebacker in the NFL, but he went the wrong way and Raheem Mostert was gone. I mean, one false step in the NFL could be a big play. And that's what Zavin Collins and still Isaiah Simmons both have to deal with.
1: Here's the other factor that kept Isaiah Simmons off the field. His name was Devondre Campbell, and he was better. He just was. He earned the starting spot, and it wasn't a shock. He was a grizzled veteran. He had a lot of the same measurables as Isaiah Simmons in terms of the size, maybe the, not the flat-out blazing speed, but he'd been there and done that, and he won the gig, which makes me wonder, is that why Jordan Hicks reportedly has been given the go-ahead to seek a trade? Is that why based on the people I've talked to, they don't expect Jordan Hicks to be part of the Arizona Cardinals 2021 because the decision makers aren't taking any chance whatsoever that Zayvon Collins will not be a starter from day one, that Zayvon Collins will not earn a starting spot because if you're Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury and you want to keep your locker room, you have to give that job to the guy who earns it. You have to give that job to the guy who gives you the best chance to have the best defense. And last year, at least from the get-go, it was Devondre Campbell. Well, if Jordan Hicks is still on the field, still on the roster, still in that locker room, a guy who's voted a captain and knows exactly where everyone is supposed to be on every single snap, how can you rightfully give that job to a rookie from the get-go? The only way you can feasibly do that, in my mind, is if you get rid of the veteran and he's no longer with the team. And it looks to me like that's the strategy this year that decision makers aren't going to take any chance that the first round rookie gets beaten out by a veteran.
0: It is an interesting uh, process. I mean, clearly they've, they've made it clear on multiple levels um, about Zayvon Collins being the starter, whether it's Cliff Kingsbury saying in a press conference, that's the expectation that we're going to grow with these two guys as our inside linebackers. And we know that there's going to be growing pains and we're going to live with them and grow with them. Or if it's even the clip, of uh, Steve Kime in the uh, most recent flight plan episodes trailer at the very beginning, where he talks about texting uh, Bill Davis and Vance Joseph telling them that they just drafted their day one starter at inside linebacker and then looks at the camera and says, you know, get that on camera. I mean, they knew from the moment they were getting them that they wanted to go in this direction. And I don't think everything you said makes a lot of sense um it it will be interesting to see exactly how the jordan hicks uh saga kind of plays out at this point um but we know this we know that zavin collins is going to be the starter to begin the year i mean i just think at this point they're too far down that road to have it not happen and and you know you're hoping again like we've said you're you're hoping like uh, it's another you know uh barry wagner or bobby i'm sorry bobby wagner and kj wright situation perhaps or what they got down in tampa with the buccaneers and and you've solidified with three down linebackers at those two positions that just gives you a lot of flexibility everywhere else
1: because to me if you're looking at this if you're the personnel department kyle you're looking at a comparison of a zavin collins and or isaiah simmons versus say a jordan hicks and look isaiah simmons and zavin collins can learn the defense they can learn the calls. They can learn the checks. Jordan Hicks isn't going to improve his foot speed. Jordan Hicks isn't going to get any better cover in the back out of the backfield or a tight end down the seam. Those are abilities and capabilities that Isaiah Simmons and, and Zayvon Collins have. So from the outside looking in, it seems to me the Arizona Cardinals are saying, you know what, we'd much rather have some perhaps some of the rookie mistakes on the mental side to get the physical abilities out there and they'll grow into the role. And if they have to learn on the job, so be it.
2: Yeah, they're clearly erring on the side of athleticism in this instance. And the question to me is, okay, I feel good about week 10 – until the end of the season, that'll probably be the the right duo. Is this the right de- duo from week one to week nine when Zayvon Collins is still learning and and Isaiah Simmons I think is still learning. We, we're talking so much about Zayvon Collins being a rookie, but Isaiah Simmons is still only in a second season playing inside linebacker and and knowing the intricacies of that and when teams do certain run game stuff and play action and there's so much movement nowadays in in the backfield and. The, the jet motions and all that, like, you got to be right. The most of the time, your athleticism doesn't make up for it sometimes. So we'll see. I mean, it's it's a little bit risky not having a veteran in there at Mike Linebacker. And we've seen it over and over with Jordan Hicks and Josh Bynes and Larry Foote. I mean, these guys that didn't have the athleticism, but they had the intelligence and the Cardinals were comfortable putting that type of player as the captain of the defense. And now it's switching gears a little bit. But the ceiling is high now. I mean, if Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons get it, as Darren said, you can be talking about uh, possibly an elite inside linebacker duo, and and that can change things defensively, let you do a lot of things defensively, and and it certainly raises the potential of that group. So, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting to find out, like everybody else, what does it look like early on?
1: Again, the biggest problem to me Isaiah Simmons had in year one was Devondre Campbell a guy who knew more and was better and more seasoned in front of him. That is not going to be a repeat case here in 2021. Jordan Hicks, from all indications, will not be there, will not be in front of Zayman Collins, will not impede his progress. A year ago when you saw Isaiah Simmons week 11 Thursday night football at Seattle play that entire game, and what did he do? He led the defense defensive tackles with 10 tackles, and he had a sack in that game. He was dynamic, and I'm sure a lot of the decision makers were upstairs watching that game going, wait a minute we'd love to see this guy get 50 snaps a game. And that was rarely the case last year, Kyle. And where
2: does, where does he play this season? I mean, it's almost kind of a discussion that's gone away. Like, is he, is he just an inside linebacker last year? He was playing safety and outside linebacker and inside linebacker, depending on the team. And I thought it worked out pretty well when you went against the Seahawks and you had Isaiah Simmons on one side and Hassan Redick on the other. And, Anytime Russell Wilson tried to scramble, he had one of these 4-4-40 guys chasing him down. And I I like that setup personally. I'm not sure if you do it with the inside linebacker group presently constructed. Maybe if you bring in another, you know, solid veteran that you feel like can play that. Or if you think Tanner Vallejo has that ability to be an inside linebacker. so, So that's a big question to me. Does Isaiah Simmons still move around in 2021 like he did as a rookie?
0: Well, Devondre Campbell's still unsigned, and you know, you never know. I mean, they do have dead money on their cap from Campbell's first contract, but you know, would he come back for cheap? I don't know. I don't. I don't know if Devondre is that kind of guy, but who knows? Maybe that does happen if he knows he's coming back in a reserve role, and that gives you the flexibility with Isaiah Simmons. But that being said, I mean, I, I know the spotlight has been on Zayvon Collins being the starter and being the starter and being the starter, but every time it's come up it's it's been wed to starting with Isaiah Simmons at inside linebacker so it sure feels to me like that's the plan for him is to play mostly inside linebacker
1: so words rarely heard around here thank goodness for the preseason games albeit only three of them so at least these two linebackers can get synced up and look the preseason isn't the regular season I get it but Preseason snaps are better than no snaps at all, as we found out a year ago. And nothing's going to replicate the opener when Zabin Collins and Isaiah Simmons are lined up and across the line of scrimmage are saying, oh, sweet mother, why is a defensive end lined up at tailback? And instead, it's Derrick Henry. At 6'3", 250, what in the Sam name of Brandon Jacobs is going on around here? If you guys remember the old New York Giants tailback, it was 6'4", 260-something. That is still one of the most top five most amazing sights to me, being on the sidelines, being field level. Literally, the Giants broke the huddle to start that game, I think it was 2005, in New York. And I literally said, okay, why is that defensive lineman playing running back? And it was Brandon <laughs> Jacobs.
0: Derek, I saw a stat. Uh, and forgive me for not knowing who had it. Derrick Henry has more rushing yards the last two years after contact than any other player has rushing yards, period. No. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. That, that deserves a, a pause, D- to soak that in. That's, uh, that, is, that is a staggering stat. Can you say a eight-man box in week one? That's, uh, that's, that's all I'm going to throw out there for that one. Uh, hey, just the rookies being on the field – period. Uh, Let's go into the secondary. Kyle, would you cite, you know, a Marco Wilson and a Tay Gallen as two of your other big takeaways from mini rookie camp weekend?
2: Well, I saw about 20 minutes of it and it was some footwork drills. Great, great job with the footwork drills, but (laughs) always good
1: Good hip turn. Yeah. Flexible hips. all
2: those. I'll reserve judgment until I see some more in camp, Uh, but there's certainly a lot of excitement about both of those guys and what they can possibly bring. And I think it's, it's going to be important to see how they're going to develop. And a lot of times, even if we're not watching or seeing it ourselves, you'll get a taste of it from either cliff Kingsbury or other coaches at some point they either start complimenting somebody pretty highly or downplay expectations a little bit. And then you realize where they are in their development. So even if we don't get to see them daily, I think maybe we'll start understanding what they think they can get out of those two when the season starts, but it's still a big question. Like, will one of those guys be ready to have a significant role if needed and As much as we talk about Robert Alford and and his injury history, even if he's not an automatic guy that's going to get hurt, you're still talking about the fourth cornerback where three play regularly. So chances are one of those top three guys is going to get hurt or miss a game or something at some point during the season. So is Marco Wilson ready to play uh, at a moment's notice or is Tay Gowan ready to play? And that's why I keep wondering is – is a veteran going to be added to that group or do they feel comfortable enough with what they're going to see over these next few weeks with those guys? Or is it too much of a question mark to lean on them? Like what if you get an in-game injury when you think Marco Wilson or Tay Allen is your fourth corner. And now all of a sudden he's playing outside or he's playing in the slot against a really good wideout. Like you have to be prepared to be okay with that. And Brandon Williams springs to mind when he played, it didn't work out well. So I think you need to trust those rookie cornerbacks.
1: Yeah, Brandon Williams had all the measurables in the world didn't make him a great cornerback so yes that is a that is an app comparison or at least a word of warning the little bit of info we got out of Cliff Kingsbury over the rookie minicamp weekend was that Marco Wilson is considered a combo corner can play inside or out take Allen considered more of an outside corner so okay that's a little bit there on the scouting report. Hot take number one on this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. The absolute key to the Cardinals 2021 season is Robert Alford. Just the development of that reliable number two corner. You're not going to know what you have for sure in Marco Wilson and Tegowan until you go into the regular season. If Robert Alford can actually recapture the form we saw in training camp, especially 2019, 2020 before that was cut short. If he can stay healthy for the first time since 2017, I mean, Darren, come on, that's immeasurable. How far that would go in terms of a, there are wants and needs with every team. That's a dire need right now for the Cardinals.
0: Well, it's, it kind of, it kind of makes me smile a little bit when you say Robert Alford's the key because you don't know what you have in Marco Wilson and take out and you don't know what you have in Robert Alford. So I don't know why he would be any different. Now there's different reasons why you don't know what you have in Robert Alford, but it's the same situation. And ultimately that's that's kind of the issue that you have right now is, is you know, assuming again, Byron Murphy's your slot guy and you're going to go with Malcolm Butler as one of your outside cornerbacks. You know, you just, there's just so much unknown uh, going into this and they signed Taye Hayes, who's got a little bit of experience, but my guess is that's a deep uh, depth type of move at best. I mean, I don't think you're expecting him to step in and, uh, and be a starter. And, and, you know, again, we've talked about this a few times, where do they stand with this? Will they possibly sign a veteran going into camp? Will they wait to get through a good chunk of camp and then decide then? I mean, uh, they signed Drake Kirkpatrick uh, last year because of the injury to Alford. Um, but I want to say it was two years ago. Uh, th- there's been one of those years and all the camps are running together. Um, when they did sign somebody, when they started realizing the guy that they had brought in wasn't going to work. And I, I, it was a cornerback and I'm forgetting the names off the top of my head right now. So forgive Bob me. Williams? Say yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what it was. But I mean, again, there's a lot of moving pieces, cornerback. You're fortunately in a place. I mean, Drake Kirkpatrick wasn't a pro bowler last year, but he did fine for what they needed and he didn't come in until midway through training camp, I think they could do the same thing again. And you'll probably have a preseason game, hopefully, for him to play, which you didn't have last year. So I think they've got some time uh, to find another body if these guys don't work out. But I think you're going to want to see, like you said, Paul, you're going to want to see what Wilson and what Gowan and what Alford can do in training camp. And you know, is that enough, that you're comfortable enough to have this as your group?
1: And you know what when you talk to players and i'm sure you guys have had these conversations before they know they know fairly early if a kid whether it's a draft pick undrafted guy just ask the players players do know players and they'll be able to tell a lot of them say they can tell after one drill that's preposterous i still don't buy that others will tell you give me one practice i say give it one week and i think after that first week of training camp most everybody on the inside knows, does this guy have a chance? Could he be viable or no chance? We got to start looking right now.
2: And with the way the cornerback situation stacks up, I mean, Marco Wilson looks like a potential good player down the road. Maybe he needs to refine parts of his game, but he's the type of guy that you want to keep on your roster and don't want to risk losing, but maybe he needs a year of development then all of a sudden are your number five and your number four cornerbacks actually your safeties? Because Jalen Thompson can play the slot and Byron Murphy could go outside. Buda Baker can play the slot if you really need him. I mean, Sean Williams is here now, and you've got some pretty strong safeties, including a couple that can play nickel. So maybe even if Robert Alford gets hurt, maybe a cornerback isn't next in line. Maybe it's one of those safeties. Tyron Matthew did it for a long time. He was a safety, but he played nickel, and Buddha and, and Jalen Thompson can do it too. So maybe these rookies, if they're not ready, that means a safety is going to be your third cornerback. And then Byron Murphy is outside? Right. Interesting. Yeah,
0: and, and that makes – I mean, Murphy's played out there, and obviously they've made it clear that they prefer him inside, but they've also made it clear multiple times they'll put him outside if, if need be, and that might just be – Kyle's right that might just be the the path they take and then all of all of a sudden all of what we're talking about is kind of moot to a certain extent because we're not taking that into account
1: yeah well is it okay if we're pulling for Tay Hayes Willie Mays Tay Hayes is that okay if we're (laughs) we're pulling for him and a shout out to the biggest biggest major league fan ever our Jim Omahundro. so I'm just gonna steal it right from him uh even though he didn't say it I think we're on the same page there you know we got some of that espn going on willie mays tay hayes
0: you you just want two tay tays in the cornerbacks room tay gowan and tay hayes and (laughs) that's
1: right you know there's a there's a a don't tase me dude in there somewhere (laughs) don't tase me bro i think that was the famous meme right don't tase me bro isn't that the famous cut from way back when all right so other takeaways from the almighty 20 minutes we got to see of rookie minicamp uh, and I tweeted this out, uh, Rondale Moore, even though my photography is horrific and I didn't do it justice, but just the legs on Rondale Moore, and the old line, every day is leg day. Uh, yeah, you know, until you actually see it up close, you're like, come on, 5'7", a buck 80, and he's squatting 600-plus pounds. No, when you see his legs, that's for real. Come on.
2: Yeah. You might've been expecting a uh, Demir bird or somebody who's very diminutive, diminutive and also skinny, but you're right. Rondell more quads are humongous. And I, I talked to his trainer and talked to Rondell a bit about the draft. And he, he went into that first day thinking he could still be a first round pick, even being five, seven and missing some games. And when it became apparent that he wasn't going to get picked, he was mad and, kind of wondering what he should do to expend some energy. And he decided to go to the gym at 1 a.m., work out for like two and a half hours until 4 a.m. and then go to bed. And his his trainer, Chris Vaughn, said that the session was just outrageous. He was just totally focused, said steam was coming off him. He felt bad for those weights. So I think it's, it's a good look into Rondell Moore and the type of competitor he is. He was overlooked a lot growing up being five, seven and not being this star from the age of six or anything. So I think it's good to have that chip on his shoulder. And we've seen guys come in here with great work ethics, turn into really good players. And I think when you draft a guy like that, you know that he's always going to give it his all. He's going to be working hard. He's going to be in the playbook. He graduated in two and a half years. So I think they have high expectations for Rondell Moore.
1: I didn't realize that trainers are on call 24 seven, like, like an ER surgeon. I, I didn't quite realize that you're a trainer. You got to
2: be ready for a 1.00 AM one to four. They worked out Kyle. Yeah. He, he texted him and said, meet me at planet fitness. If it was me, I'm probably looking and and putting that phone down and going back to bed, but props <laughs> to his trainer for getting up and doing it. And, yeah. and he did some film of it. So there's a, there's a video within my article on the Cardinals website where, It's Rondell Moore working out at at one or two in the morning at Planet Fitness. And then he worked out the next day, raced back to his house, saw himself get drafted in the second round, and then did more stuff that night.
1: Okay. Wow. All right. Well, uh, every day is leg day then. I guess every (laughs) every overnight is, you know, twice a day is leg day apparently. My goodness. Okay. Um, By the way, I don't mean to be snide or snarky in this. I really don't, Darren. Sure. Can Rondell Moore catch? Can he catch? Did you see see any of the receiver drills enough to get a sense of his hands? Does he fight the football? Does he have naturally soft hands? That's an honest question because a lot of these guys do have the measurables and they are great in the combine. But, hello, you got to catch the ball. And hopefully you're catching the ball away from your body with your hands.
0: I didn't see him drop anything. I certainly didn't get enough didn't get to watch him enough to really get a sense of if he's got soft hands, there was a couple that he had off, you know, he was kind of catching one end of the ball, I thought, but he didn't drop anything and he was definitely not body catching it. So I feel like, again, from that one little time that we got to see, I liked what I saw. Um, And I like, I, I just like how he's attacking this whole thing. I, he's got this quiet anger to him uh, that I guess we heard a little bit about with this working out, but like, he is, I think, very, very driven to prove people that he can be successful. Now I've been around guys like that. And there are guys that have been like that, that can't do it for whatever reason. It doesn't mean they can't play, but they get hurt or uh, you know, they, it just doesn't come together for them. And we talked about Andy Isabel a million times. Whatever struggles Andy Isabella has had, it has nothing to do with his work ethic. I think Andy Isabella has worked his butt off to try and become better. He just – it hasn't come for him. And so that is possible. But I do like how kind of Rondale Moore, how he carries himself, and, uh, and we, we'll only have to see how this kind of goes on. I mean, you know, are we going to – I don't know how much we're actually going to see in the offseason. I do anticipate training camp hopefully being open for fans this year. Uh, fingers crossed hard on that. But I mean, uh, I, I look forward to training camp, but I look forward to seeing them in a couple of preseason games. I mean, this is, I don't love preseason games, but I will say not having them last year stunk uh, because you do get a little bit of a sense of some of the younger players in the preseason games that you didn't get last year. And I think ultimately the, the, the younger players got hurt too, but I, I like being able to get that little bit of gauge of where they are.
1: Once again, that worked against Isaiah Simmons as well, in that you're not going to get on the field unless the coaches trust you. And if you have no reps, if you have no snaps, even in a vanilla preseason game, the coaches have to build that trust. So in the absence of any real evidence, they went with the veterans. They erred on the side of caution. And that's why Devondre Campbell ended up starting most of the season, or at least the beginning of the season. And you know what? He played pretty dang well for about half of the season. And then his production tailed off a little bit and he got a little bit banged up, but yeah, it's like anything in life. The boss isn't going to give you the opportunity unless the boss can trust you.
2: Yeah, now we're at the point where it's clear that Zayvon Collins is going to be relied on heavily this season. And they've said as much about Rondale Moore, but it's more of a luxury position on offense where if if you like what A.J. Green and Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins are doing, you can do 11 personnel and maybe sprinkle Rondale Moore in if you want. If he's great in training camp and in the preseason and he's just this electric playmaker that was missing last season at points, maybe you do more 10 personnel and you roll out four wide that we all thought we were going to see consistently when Cliff Kingsbury got here, but you look back at the last two seasons and personnel wise, they didn't have the receivers to play like that effectively. Now maybe you do. I mean, if if AJ Green stays healthy and and Rondale Moore comes on quickly, do you like those four wide receivers better than, a tight end at times and you got Max Williams, but tight end is a, a question mark at this point. So maybe you see more 10 personnel this season.
0: See, and what that's about? something I, I'm sorry, Paul, but I, I know we've talked about that a million times in the, in the run game and Sean Kugler and this and that. And yet at this point in the off season with how they built their roster, it feels a lot more like they're going to move more back towards the 10 personnel. Doesn't it?
1: Yes. In fact, can I use, Kyle's two words that he's most fond of, quote, I disagree. Can, can, can I, you, have you trademark those words? Because I'd like to employ those two words. When you attach the word luxury to Rondale Moore, two of the last three drafts, they've used a second round pick on that player. I'm not sure that Cliff Kingsbury views that as a luxury. I'd be more apt to say he views it as a necessity, which is why they went after the same type of player. And to Darren's point, Is that because they have designs on running more and more 10 personnel? Was that the answer to the struggling intermediate passing game and making teams pay for having two high safeties much of last season? I think, Rondale Moore, you'd get an argument from the guys who drafted him that he's a luxury.
2: Uh, No, I think that's a great point. And I think more so than – I don't think he's an intermediate passing game addition. I think at this point in their careers, I think Christian Kirk – can do that better than Rondell Moore until he shows the, the intricacies with the route running. He's just tiny. So intermediate routes are are going to be harder when you're five, seven to get open unless you're getting super separation. But I do think the jet motion was missing a lot last season. The bubble screens that were effective were missing. I mean, they threw a lot of them, but Larry Fitzgerald at that stage in his career wasn't breaking a lot of tackles and, and Christian Kirk wasn't doing much on bubble screens and maybe Rondale Moore is that guy where you just get him the ball quickly. C- Cliff Kingsbury wants to do the quick passing game. I think that's ultra apparent from what we've seen these first two seasons, but they have not had those yak guys besides Deandre Hopkins and Chase Edmonds. And if Rondale Moore adds that, then you're hundred percent correct, Paul, then he's not a luxury anymore. He's a necessity. And I think that's a, a prescient observation where maybe Cliff Kingsbury feels like he needs this type of player to really let his offense really go at full tilt and, and they've tried to find him and, and they didn't with Andy Isabella and maybe Rondell Moore is that guy.
1: If I have the uh, proverbial whiteboard that coaches use and I have the marker, I'm grabbing the marker and I'm putting reminder to self, offensive coaches, get the ball to number 85 in space. Just get the ball to Rondell Moore in space and get out of the way or get a hat on your man and let him work. Weren't there a lot of metrics and analytics from his one full season, 2018, where in space or getting separation or making people miss, he had stupid elite numbers the way they track that, right, at the
2: college level? Yeah, it was the most missed tackles for the last few seasons among wide receivers. And that's why I think he's different than Andy Isabella, where Andy Isabella is a deep threat. He's got the elite straight line speed, but I think Rondale Moore has that. And also more of the jitterbug ability in short areas where he can make guys miss laterally more so than just vertically. And, Uh, To me, that was one of the main things missing last season. I I think Chase Edmonds did it, and I don't think you had a lot of other guys among that small group of skill players that should be designed like that, where you get them the ball, and they need to make a guy miss in order to get the seven yards. And a lot of time, it was a two- or three-yard gain because they didn't do it, and I think that is the expectation with Rondale Moore, to get him the ball and to let him go to work and, and make guys miss.
0: We just don't know if it's get the ball to 85. Because uh, his jersey number right now, I do think it's tentative. I would not be surprised if he ultimately could change it down the road. We'll see what happens.
1: Really? What in the same name of Rod Tidwell's going on there, Darren? What I do you know mean?
0: everybody wants to keep him an 85 because it says more on the back. But, I mean, he's a rookie, and I'm not 100% sure. When you look at all the ability for all these guys to get single and, and teens numbers now uh, that ranked ahead of him in terms of uh, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if he sees what, what inventory might be available once uh, we get to final cuts and then maybe make a move then. That's just – I don't know that for certain, but I wouldn't be completely stunned if that happened, and I guess I just want people to – if they're really on the Rondell Moore train, I don't, I don't know if they – I want them going out and buying a jer- 85 jersey and then have it backfire.
1: So true or false, there are no more single digits left because they're not giving out number eight all respect to larry wilson correct. Reti- so no more single digits correct
0: is retired so they can't i know okay. the Digibot thing but yeah all the single digits are taken right now okay
1: you're not and intimating you're I- not intimating that rondell moore might end up with <gasps> number 11
0: no i'm fairly certain 11's not going anywhere and i don't think rondell moore would be able to get four which is what he wore in college because i don't think andy lee's going anywhere either
1: hmm well, if they would have taken a punter in the seventh round, like I suggested, you know, so. I, I
0: walked him right into that. Didn't I,
1: you know what? And then we see Rondell Moore. That's on Kyle. I'm going to tell him, you know, I, 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 Calvisi consulting threw that out there. Kyle shot it down. I think the war room got cold fate. Uh, you know, fearing blowback from Kyle, and so otherwise, four would be available. So that's on you, Kyle. Wait go tell
2: Rondell Moore that, and then we'll go have a conversation with Andy Lee. How you wanted him off the team for a seventh round punter?
1: <laughs> I'm also <laughs> no, no, I wanted competition, I just wanted competition,
2: <laughs> just so, practice so, squad, Andy.
0: Wait, so, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're saying you're not saying you know, you did bring up uh, your you, I'm not saying Rondell Moore would get 11, but. Are you now, Paul Calvisi, reporting that 11 would even be available?
1: Oh, absolutely not. No. Oh, he, just he, checking.
0: I, I wasn't sure. Are we to that well, point in the podcast?
1: Well, no, but insider Tay Gowan uh, threw that picture out there of Larry Fitzgerald's locker, and it's full. Not. I mean, it's, it's, ready. it's regular season ready. Larry's locker is more ready for the regular season than he is right now, and Tay Gowan, the insider, sent that picture out on Instagram So, boom, more than ever, like I told you guys last week, I talked to someone who said they're not sure Larry's really sure yet. And I'll tell you what I am sure of, that I don't think Larry's going to walk away from the game if he still thinks he has game left. Boom, I'm leaning heavily towards him coming back.
0: I think it's funny, like, I I thought for a minute that you're saying, what I know for sure is he's not going to walk away if he knows he has three sticks of deodorant in his locker that he hasn't taken out. I feel confident that Larry is, has his own confidence that if he decided to retire, he has access to the building to come get, like, a couple of packages and a picture of his kids and, you know, his leftover toothbrush if he really needed it. That's just me. So question, just- My
2: question would be, does it look the exact same as it did – the day after the regular season finale last year as to now, or have there been things added to the locker? I think that's what you have to investigate, Paul. If he's if he's brought stuff in, brought in some cleats, I think you're on to something. If, if we have a picture from the last day of the regular season and it looks identical, you might not have much uh, evidence from that.
1: You know what? We lose to the pandemic again because yep. if it wasn't for the pandemic and we had media access to the Cardinals locker room, we could go to the Week 17 footage of Larry's interview with the media, and then we could compare and contrast a still frame of his locker and see if it's identical. What's in? What's out? How does it compare? Has he been there recently to work out? Is he, you know, has he moved some new stuff in for the coming season? We have no idea now.
2: Check out yeah. the Zapruder film from the second angle. I was thinking the same thing definitely
0: the zapruder film
1: that's right so you guys are completely dismissing the picture that tay gowan sent out and and i I do believe he also intimated that he's looking forward to competing against the great larry fitzgerald i mean in the words of the great american philosopher stephen colbert you know what that means probably something
0: i mean (laughs) i i would appreciate the fact i mean that he's excited that larry fitzgerald could be in the locker room but but with all due respect to tay gowan i feel confident that the the knowledge of tay gowan and what might happen with larry fitzgerald is probably less on his end than it would be like potentially from our end that's just me <laughs> i hope that's that's not really my ego yeah. talking i think that's just facts
1: okay all right well uh we'll see you know um You see, by the way, uh, since we've sort of been reverse engineering the Larry thing, uh, we've eliminated the Buccaneers because of the sign of Antonio Brown. Did you see though that that Tom Brady has a small problem that Derek Jeter sold off the mansion that Tom Brady Incorporated was leasing? Did you see that he was renting that out anyway? uh, Jeter sold it for 22 million plus. It was listed for 29. They talked him down to a cool 22 million. Sold that off. If you do a little more digging, at least the story I saw, uh, apparently uh, Tom and his wife, who uh, Giselle Bunchen, who makes more than him, have recently purchased land on an exclusive island off Miami to build a home there. So their next estate is gonna be on their own island off of Miami. So that's how you do Florida.
0: First of all, in this housing market where everybody's getting crap ton more money for their house, how is Derek Jeter selling it for seven million under list? What what's he doing?
1: Darren, you're the one who confirmed that Larry in 2015 bought a house in P V for like three million and just oh. recently flipped it for 15. That's okay, exactly. because he's Larry Fitzgerald and he just keeps winning at life, as Cliff Kingsbury said. Are you kidding me? Five years later, six years later, he sells it for five times what he paid for. So that that that's Larry being Larry. Are
2: we are we positive that Larry Fitzgerald didn't buy that house and, and kick Tom Brady out and now he's gonna be a slot receiver in Tampa? Did you see who bought it?
1: Well, no, I know the, the, the buyer has not been revealed as of yet, according to the story. Oh, uh,
2: okay. And so. maybe maybe somebody else is going 10 personnel next season, too. Mm. Well
1: once again, Kyle fits in with the rest of our theory that Larry already knows the Buccaneers playbook. So he can wait to the last minute to actually show up. He knows BA's offense cold. He can get a refresher on his own with a tablet or, or what have you probably still has a copy at home of BA's playbook. We know it hasn't changed. So come on now. Right. He so, got a, he
2: got a good deal on, on the real estate. Yeah. Go. Got a good deal on the real estate, which is right up his alley. Exactly. All coming together. Right. Why did he sell in the first place?
1: Boom to buy the house in Tampa. You're right. <laughs> absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. So there, there we go. That's uh, I'm just looking here to see if I had any more hot takes. Is anybody else with a hot take? As long as we're rolling here, those
0: were know. pretty hot right there. Those are pretty hot. I don't I, I forgot my oven mitts.
1: Actually, I do have one more. Can you guys handle one more?
0: Do we have a choice?
1: Cardinals at Browns. I've come to the conclusion here in the last few days is a potential Super Bowl preview. That's where I'm leaning right now. Cardinals Browns potential Super Bowl preview. I base this on a lot of people who know a lot more about football than me calling the Browns roster maybe the most talented in the NFL from top to bottom. Uh, so boom, just mark it down the whole Cardinals Browns melee at Kyler against Baker. that could be a preview of wherever Super Bowl the Super Bowl is this year. What is it? Super Bowl 54, where is it? LA?
0: I think so. Yeah. I, I forget the oven mitts. I needed like one of those radioactive suits for that take. I mean, geez, I'm coming, coming hard. That's like, that's like my son after the schedule came out and he goes, dad, the Cardinals are going 14 and three. I'm telling you right now, 14 and three. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I hope good. you're right.
1: Well, you know, me and your son in May, you know, some people wait until August right before the regular season, but uh, you know, sometimes being, uh, what was the word you used there, Kyle? Prescient? You know, being prescient. Uh, you're not sure I could define it and or pronounce it, but you know, why not be <laughs> uh, times two with another hot take in May.
2: Hey, if you hit on that, we're going to find this clip from <laughs> that's what right. it's going to be eight months prior. I'll, I'll remember Cardinals right. Brown Super Bowl. Did you? So, did you make that prediction or did it somebody else? That's, that's you owning that? No, no. That's me get,
1: hearing a lot of the props on the Browns. And just thinking, you know, the whole year three and, uh, you know, we saw what happened with Baker and Josh Allen a year ago and me not buying a lot of this noise in the NFC right now. Uh, you know, there was another thing that came out. It was on CBS sports and, and go ahead, Darren, let me find this and then you Go ahead. What were you going to say?
0: I was just going to say, it's kind of funny talking about these predictions It reminds me of a story once upon a time uh, 2008, I'm sure people remember that season where in the, the, uh, the Cardinals stayed back east between playing Washington and then playing the Jets, the famous Anquan Bolden-Broken Jaw game. And we were back in Virginia that whole week. And uh, on Monday, uh, Ken Wisenhut was talking to a bunch of us, including regular media who traveled, and said, you know, this week is good because it gives us preparation for when we have to spend a week in uh, – tampa for the super bowl and i was careful because you know i'm working for the team i don't want to but i know kent summers at the time kind of rolled his eyes a little bit and that the next night me and three people I, i work with i will leave them unnamed right now but we actually after dinner we started having a discussion about who would get a super bowl ring if if at the table, if if the Cardinals won the Super Bowl, we we're talking about making the Super Bowl, and it was like it, we had just played Week Three, and it's like really we're talking about the Cardinals being in the Super Bowl, and then lo and behold, a few months later we were at the Super Bowl. So I'm not going to completely dismiss Paul, even though I normally like to. I, I, I'm not going to in this case.
1: I wasn't the guy divvying up who's getting a ring in Week Four. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you call me irresponsible in May. I mean, I, I, wow, you guys advanced that pretty quickly. You know that. <laughs> That that escalated quickly, in the words of Ron Burgundy. So here it was, CBSSports.com, five playoff teams that will fail and fall short this year. Titans, ooh, that would bode well for the Arizona Cardinals in week one. Steelers, Saints, Bears, Packers. Once again, how the Saints got five primetime games, I have no idea, especially when they're going to be a non-playoff team, according to CBSSports.com. Then the five non-playoff teams that will make the leap into the postseason, you ready? Chargers. Niners, Cowboys, Patriots, Vikings. Three of the five are in the NFC, and none are named the Arizona Cardinals. Kyle,
2: I uh, I definitely see the logic behind that. I think all those five are regression candidates, and I think the Vikings. I'm not sure. I mean, I could see them not making it, but they had a lot of advanced statistics that portended some good things. And obviously the Niners make sense. Uh, The the, the Patriots, I don't know about them, but the rest of that list I think is pretty good. I think you could make certainly the case for the Cardinals to make the playoffs considering how close they were and how much they've built up the roster. I think the roster is as healthy as it's been since the 2016 season. So I, I don't think you can discount the Cardinals chances, but everybody looks at the division and says, you've got six games against the Rams, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. And what if you go two and four or one and five against those teams? You're on such an uphill battle the rest of the way. So if the Cardinals can tread water in the division and go three and three, then I think it's a definite possibility. But I think a lot of people are looking at that schedule and saying, yeah, we like the Cardinals, but we like those NFC West teams too. And we think they're all going to kind of beat up on each other.
1: So when I go with the hot take and you put on the oven mitts and I say Cardinals Brown Super Bowl preview, um, that is predicated on coming out of your own division, obviously. And then if you do, whoever comes out of the NFC West, guess what? You are playoff ready. Absolutely. You, you are playoff tested, battle tested. And with that week 12 by getting you ready for the postseason run, boom, it all comes together right there on the schedule.
2: I mean, you've got Kyler Murray and on defense, you have Chandler Jones and JJ Watt up front and just those three guys alone. Like if all those guys play at their peak, you're going to have a really good team. And, that's the question is Kyler Murray gonna take that that next jump to star status and can Chandler Jones and JJ Watt be the players that they were a couple years ago I mean you're talking about two former NFL defensive players of the year it's not a stretch to think they can be dominant but at their ages it's still a question mark so beyond everything we talk about I mean we analyze everything on this podcast, obviously, and looking at the minutia, but what do those three players do? And if all of them play well, I think the ceiling for this team is pretty high.
1: All right. So let's leave it at this. I'm going to hit you guys upside the head. I'm going to ear hole you guys, as they say in football, your biggest fear right now and or the Cardinals biggest weakness right now going into this season. For example, the CBS sports.com crew said, you know, what, Cardinals aren't a playoff team. Why? What do you think the national media is looking at with the Cardinals and not believing in their biggest liability, Darren? What do you think?
0: I, I think right now it's consistency on offense. I mean, I think they've added some pieces that can help them, but it's got to be shown on the field. We got, they're going to have to get something out of A.J. Green that we haven't seen from A.J. Green in a little while. They're going to have to have Rondell Moore play well right away, and you're going to have to have Christian Kirk stay healthy and play a role, I think. Uh, and James Conner, for that matter. I I think, and, and and having Kyler take kind of that next step where he can really kind of take over a game more consistently than he has. So I, I think ultimately that's, that would be my number one thing uh, going into it. I mean, there's other spots, cornerback, all that stuff, but that's, that's what pops into my head of, of what will end up being the rudder that, pushes this ship that is the 2021 season in whatever direction it's going to go.
2: Kyle? I I think the, the biggest questions when you look at this team is, can they throw the ball efficiently game in and game out? Because the intermediate passing game was missing last season. And on the flip side, can you defend the pass with these question marks at cornerback? And those are the two most important things in the NFL is how you throw the ball and how you defend the pass. And that's why I think there's the reason why will they make the playoffs and you have to be a good passing team in the NFL, even if you can run the ball. And I think we saw that last year where they were pretty good running the ball, but sometimes the passing game wasn't there and it ended up in about a a 500 season. So to me, can they stop the pass? Can they throw? If those two places both improve this year, then I think they'll outperform the outside expectations.
1: And I could use the words I disagree and cite how they were in the bottom third to run defense, and the only time the Cardinals offense has truly Cheers. been cooking is when they've been running the ball. You know, we get, We're not going there. I'm just going to say this. And it's kind of akin to what Darren said, and that is there are just so many guys that have been playmakers but are now question marks. Players make plays, and making those plays in the NFL makes all the difference. A.J. Green, once upon a time, yes. Even Chandler Jones, five games into last season, what did he have, one sack? So I I think a lot of the outsiders are looking at some of the big names and wondering if they still have big game to go along with it. And I think the answer to that question is going to dictate the outcome of this season. And you smile, Kyle, because you know ultimately it comes down to those players making those plays and guys who have proven to be able to do it in the past are they still going to be those guys and be that productive here? A lot of them, 30 plus years of age.
2: We're agreeing a lot on this podcast, Paul. And that yeah. was, that's what I was, the other part I was thinking in my mind when you asked is that I was either going to go with the passing game stuff or can the former stars find that past glory and yeah, AJ Green, JJ Watt, Chandler Jones. And then, you know, some guys that are, that are solid like Rodney Hudson and and Justin Pugh, they're, in that 30 year old range and some guys continue to play great through 32 33 34 and other guys can break down quickly in the nfl and it's like you said it's kind of the great unknown how all these established veterans a little bit past their prime are going to look and yeah if you get good seasons out of most of those guys you're going to be in good shape because of what they've shown i mean the track record is awesome and now they just have to duplicate that in 2021.
1: So you guys are saying you do agree with my assessment that Zayvon Collins has a lot of similar facial features to a young (laughs) Wayne the Rock Johnson. Is that what you're saying? Are we in complete agreement on this? I I, I will say this. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. How agree are we?
0: I I would agree. I I, I guess I should just be happy that you didn't say you saw a lot of similarities and looks between you and Zayvon Collins. (laughs) We're no. trying to talk about how you're no. looking like a chiseled 23 year old no. or whatever he is so i'll, I'll give you that one I, I feel like the rock isn't a terrible you're not terribly off with that
1: i'm telling you look for the eyebrow raise that's that's the key right there the eyebrow raise just look forward it during the next press conference and no i wouldn't be even be confused for a mini me version of zayvon collins so uh there, there's no risk of that happening whatsoever and that would be the end. And by the way, next time uh, we can't—if it's sweeps month, we can't agree so often, Kyle. Okay? We yeah. can't have it. if there's sweeps and ratings are at stake. We can't agree so often. Let's not have that happen again.
2: This whole podcast felt weird when I kept on nodding my head instead of shaking it vigorously every time you made a point.
1: That's right. We got to go back into the, uh, the into the drawing room here and make a few adjustments and, and tweak this engine again. You know, go back to your dumb takes, off. Paul. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Put this thing up in blocks. We'll be next week with a rebuild engine on Cardinals Underground.